Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Heather Blakenship. She is an investor who's very schooled in RV parks, self-storage, and mobile home parks. I think one of the things I got most out of today's episode with her was that she gave a lot of clarity around analyzing markets. I'm a multifamily investor, and she was able to kind of twist that around and say, this is what you want to look at when you're actually really looking at markets for RV parks, not multifamily. And you'll definitely blow your mind because I thought it was fascinating that what we can think, we think one thing and she presented it in a very different way, which I thought was very, very helpful for this particular niche. And I'm just going to give you guys a heads up. We were very selfish. We asked her to dumb it down <laughs> RV and all the other different, I would say, options there is in this niche. But one thing that is really impressive about Heather is that she is a single mom of three kiddos and she has built an amazing portfolio and she's currently managing 30 plus employees. So she knows all about what scaling means and taking yourself out of the equation so your business can run as a, as a machine. And we went there, we talked about it, why women having trouble trusting people and hiring. And she said something very special about the difference between trusting people and hiring people. So if you want to know more about this, check this episode out. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Hey guys, it's Liz. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind you that time is running out and you have four weeks left to get your ticket to InvestorCon 2024, the number one premier conference for women in real estate. It's happening from June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit investhercon.com today and use the code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's investhercon.com and use the promo code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we are all about empowering women to live a financially free and balanced life. So thank you for coming back with us for another week where we get a chance to get inside the amazingness of one of these amazing women out there that are doing it. They're making it happen every day. And there's so many of them. So Heather, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing your, your experience and your knowledge with our community and our, our listeners. Happy to be here. I really appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, excited to jump into Heather's story and 
everything RV park investing, which I'm selfishly and Andres and I are selfishly so pumped about. So we're just going to ask you questions that serve us. No, just joking. But we're we're uh, really, really pumped to have you on here today and, and dive into that niche, really powerful niche. But Andresa, as we always like to do, right, we like to really connect, even though we can't see all of you amazing women uh, and men who listen to our show, we like to connect with you. So what's happening, Miss Andresa? You know, this week, I want to share something personal that happened uh, this week, because we all, you know, for the moms out there that, you know, juggle kids and uh, school, it's a crazy time right now and building a business and, and building a portfolio on our own terms. You can hear me that sometimes it's like it's a, it's a, it's a struggle, right? And one of the things that I learned growing up with my parents, the memories that I have around six, seven years old are memories, very like vivid experiences that I had. One of them, I think I already guys already know about this, like the shower with my dad and my sisters was a dangerous situation. I'm not repeating that because he made it like a slide with soap all over the bathroom and we slided and I, 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 let's keep that part. Right. Uh, but I really remember the experience in the music. We always had music taking showers. I take shower listening to music or whatever uh, audio I have it. And I say, you know what? I'm going to transform the moment that I have this boring task that I need to fight with my son every day for him to come take a shower into an enjoyable experience. Mm. So I got the speaker that you gave me for Christmas list and it's in our bathroom. Oh. So now Lorenzo comes and we do a concert inside the bathroom. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it's a little bit more water going down the drain, but <laughs> it is fun. It is fun. And he can't wait. He's like, what music are we going to oh. dance today, mommy? And it's been a blast this entire week. So I transformed this like, quote unquote, boring, but necessary task into an experience mm. and talking our experience, Liz and I, I are super beyond exciting. Share with all of you about the investor con that is going to be happening in Charlotte, North Carolina on the 23rd and 24th of June. And I guarantee you, it's not going to be your traditional boring real estate conference. We are planning a full circle transformational experience designed for women's needs, goals, and schedules in mind. That is what it is. It's just a wonderful experience. I will not tell you today about the keynote, but if I were you, <laughs> I will click on the link below and really get your ticket today and reserve your spot. More to come, ladies. More to come. Yes, we are so pumped. We are so pumped. But without further ado here, I want to transition to uh, Heather and her story and her background. And Heather, we always kind of kick things off with our guests. So, you know, what propelled you to get involved in investing and what inspired you to get involved in this particular journey? Well, almost, well, we think 11 years ago, I was driving across the country in a camper from Florida to California. And I was like, hey, it's just running parking spots. This has got to be easy. It's not running parking spots. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like owning a parking garage. And it is not that. 
And so by the time I got to California, I had been Google searching RV parks for sale and campgrounds for sale. And I found one that was in bankruptcy in the area that I lived in. Hmm. And I, I didn't even realize that RV parks are real estate at the time. And I called the bank. I was 26 years old and they wanted $3.2 million. And they're like, how much money do you have? And I was like, I don't have any. <laughs> so <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I don't have any. And so because it was 2011, it's 2011 and banks that still had things left on their books from the collapse, they were willing to do loans that you couldn't get today. And today, no one would give me that loan. I shouldn't ask for that loan. Sam Zell, who's a really famous owner of Warehouse Space, and he's huge in mobile home parks and RV parks, he has a book. And in his book, he says, I was successful because I didn't know I shouldn't have been. And it's the same thing because I shouldn't have asked for the loan. They shouldn't have given it to me. And it was a huge blessing. But I do a ton of stuff on TikTok. And I'm in the middle of being beat up on TikTok by all these people who are like, yeah, but you were just lucky. Okay. You're lucky when you're in the lottery. I had to go figure out how to pull a bankrupt property out of something and figure out how to make it profitable. And it all kind of started there. And ever since I've been obsessed with all things real estate, I own RV parks, mobile home parks, and section eight multifamily now. I love that. And there's no such a thing as luck without courage. You have the courage to first ask, first research for it, ask and figure it out. There isn't such a thing, right? And then love does not happen from 2011 to now. You, you're not going to keep like getting lucky here. You're just getting right. smarter and smarter and know how, how you can pivot. I'm selfishly very, very uh, happy to interview you today because I have so many questions about RV. I feel that it's more, it became with the, the pandemic. Pandemic. I That's what my assumption is. It's, it's a niche that really like people are looking for now to become like a more like a lifestyle beyond just investing. So all those people that couldn't travel or like, listen, let me just get an RV here so we all can, you know, work from whatever it is. And then all the investors are like, well, this is great. <laughs> now everybody is there. So from an investor standpoint, it's my understanding that I can invest in RV parks in different ways, own the land or own the structure, break it down for us, like dumb it down for us, please. <laughs> <laughs> so to, for people to that are looking to do that, like dumb down for us. Yeah. So to talk about what you just said, Andressa, it's interesting because that's one of the most common questions I get. Like, Heather, is this just because of COVID? And in reality, it's not. If you look at the trends over the last 10 years, the industry has had steady growth year over year. Yes, the last couple of years kind of double or tripled in growth compared to what the previous years had, but it's been a growing industry for the last 20, 30 years. It's not a new thing. It did get more mainstream attention because... We were paying attention. <laughs> um, everybody was sitting at home. We trying were to all what, watching TV. Yes. Trying to figure out what people were doing. And so when you're talking about there's different ways to invest in RV parks, you're absolutely right. And so one of the biggest misconceptions are that RV parks and mobile home parks are the same thing. They, they kind of interchange the words with trailer park, mobile home park, affordable housing, mixed with uh, RV parks and campgrounds. All these things kind of get grouped in the same thing. And they're very, very different. Mobile home parks are usually affordable housing. And large investors, institutional investors want to just own the land and have all what you call tenant-owned homes as opposed to park-owned homes. 
which is meaning like you own both the land and the structure like you were talking about. So my mobile home parks, I like having park-owned homes and the land because I can rent them out on Section 8. So if I own the lot itself, the land and the mobile home, I can rent those out for twelve dollars to $1,400 a month on Section 8, which is awesome. Those larger, larger institutional investors don't want to do that because they don't want the maintenance that's involved in all of that. They're used to the passive mailbox money of just owning the land, which makes sense. But where I already own multifamily and have a team in place, it's no big deal to us to have those maintenance calls and things like that. It doesn't bother us. Now, when you transition over to RV parks, you've really got a couple different types of parks. So you've got long-term RV parks, which are affordable housing and very similar to the mobile home parks that we just talked about. But typically the owners don't own the campgrounds. They are own the campers. They just own the land. And the difference in a campground is they're upkeeping some other structures. They're going to have bathhouses they're keeping up with. There's typically an office or a check-in building. Oftentimes they have swimming pools and all these different amenities that they're keeping up in addition to that. But those are long-term, usually affordable houses. There's some really nice ones in Florida and California and Arizona that are more like retirement communities and they're beautiful with sidewalks and great landscaping and really nice places to live. So they're not the same stigma as some of the more rundown ones that people think of. Then you've got short-term parks, which are literally like running a resort. People's average stay is three days. They're on vacation. It's usually families. And those parks have more than 10 streams of income. You're It's a different form of real estate because you're running an active business with a ton of employees and all kinds of stuff going on, kind of like running a resort. Then you've got some stuff in between that have long-term and short-term mixed together. You got seasonal parks, you got man camps. There's all different niches within this niche. Hmm. Wow. Jesus, we can't go on and on here. Know, what's a just, man? What's it called? A man camp? A man camp. A man, a man camp. 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 Be in oh. like Texas or maybe in the Northwest when you see like a pipeline coming through or oil workers. And so oh, temporarily wow. that land is worth a ton of money because they've got all these workers who are there you know, maybe for a couple of years for whatever the project is. But when you're underwriting these deals, you could get in huge trouble if you try and value that man camp the same as an existing property that you know has 10 or 20 different forms of employment supplying the area. Because at the end of that project, that property is not really worth a whole lot. Mm. I completely had a different idea when you said man camp. <laughs> oh, that, you, I like your definition. No, that, that, I got to share. I what did you a, think? I'm like that men came together to like, support each other and like help each other. And they, I don't know, maybe like, probably like we, those, need, yeah. we need to do an investor camp now. <laughs> well, sidebar, we did a really funny story, but we did a um, invest investing with your spouse um, session and, and, and webinar for our Strive members this past weekend. We said, bring your spouse. We had all the, it was really cool. We had all of our members and their spouses and partners. And my husband said, I want to do invest him. We're going to do invest him. And I'm going to take all the guys. And all the guys are like, like thumbs up. This is cute. I'm like, stop stealing our name. Thank you very much. It's trademark. No. Um, <laughs> so, so let's, let's, there's a lot to this. And I think, I think a lot of people think it's very simple. And I think it's probably a little more complicated than all of us may, may realize. Now, just like in real estate, when you really start to understand it, it gets simpler, right? Like multifamily or large, large apartment complexes can be really big to people who don't understand them. And then you start to break it down. You're like, okay, this makes sense. So, so someone is intrigued to invest in this niche. What are some of their first steps? You know, because again, we really want to be mindful. Like women, 
us women get a little overwhelmed very easily. We don't like, oh, we're not going to do anything versus like, okay, let's break this down. Um, so if this is something that I you know, want to explore, you got a multifamily investor or a flipper, and they're like, this is something I'm intrigued by. What are some of those initial steps? What are some of those, even from an analysis perspective, uh, is it similar where you look at comps? And so walk us through some of those initial kind of where to start. So it's similar if you understand commercial real estate. Because as you know, looking at single family homes or really even duplexes, some of those smaller multifamily are very different than looking at those larger apartment complexes because you have to understand a cap rate and going through people's profit and loss statements and and understanding what should and shouldn't be there to put stuff in and pull stuff out where you need to. So if you've learned about multifamily already or you're familiar with multifamily, it's pretty simple. The art is in learning what should and shouldn't be in that profit and loss statement Mm. so that, you know, you're missing $200,000 in payroll because mom and pop have been pretending to be four employees and you're going to have to hire those people when mom and pop leave (laughs) and you're now operating the property, you know, learning Mm -hmm. what things you're missing. Two of the most important things when you're looking for RV parks or glamping resorts, because the, the outdoor hospitality industry in general kind of groups RV parks and glamping resorts together because a lot of the things are very similar. So two of the most important things that you're looking for are going to be zoning and permitting, making sure you're properly zoned and permitting because most people are asking about development right now of RV parks or glamping resorts because they they see the shiny objects of the awesome tiny homes and the glamping tents and all these fun things that we get to see. So your zoning and permitting, and then your utilities. Your utilities will literally make or break your deal because oftentimes they're not on city water and city sewer because some of these properties, they may not be remote, but they're not going to be right in the middle of town all the time. So it's also not always well and septic like we're used to looking at when we see multifamilies. You start digging in and you've got weird things like lagoons and wastewater treatment plants and pump lift stations and all these different options that could be literally the same cost as the property if something went wrong. So you could make a really bad decision on your utilities or you may not be able to have them at all. I had a I had a student last semester, we call them semesters, who couldn't figure out how to get water to his property. And he had this Mm. awesome, beautiful property in the North Carolina mountains, but he can't figure out how to get water there. And it's kind of no go on a project when you can't get Well, last summer, I love to go to Stone Harbor for a couple of days, right? And in the middle of the week, I don't know what was going on. I think everything shut down. My son was here and I was like, listen, might as well pack and go for a couple of days to to the beach in the middle of the week. I couldn't find any hotel, right? So I was like, let me look around and see. And I found this, and now I don't know how to name it properly, what what that was, right? (laughs) I think it was a mix, as per you're saying, there was a mix of people that came with those huge RVs attached to their trucks. I was like, this is is a hotel, buddy. Like, what is this that you're bringing, like the spaceship coming in? And then there were those that were in place to be rented like short term. It's like, I want to, I want to try this, this, this out. And, and we stayed there for, for three days. They have this small office and then, but then like my, my, my investor mind start kicks in, right? Like, okay, the check-in over here, you guys can improve this, this, that, or, <laughs> or how can we do this faster, more efficient? And I started walking around 
And some people have their own decorations and, and things. I was like, you guys been, you're not temporary. You would not believe the amount of stuff people bring for three days. Like they have one <laughs> extra vehicle to bring all of their outside stuff. They might be. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was like, there was one of them that had like a tiki bar. Am I saying this right? Tiki yes. bar? I was like, what do you, what do you, like, what do you do here? Parties and, but the bottom line, I was like, this is good. This is good. This is just like, I, I look at the structure and everything else, but I had, I was like, there's no freaking way in hell I can take, duplicate this without knowing it or, or not making like very like big, basic rookie mistakes. So when you look back, what were the mistakes that you made at the beginning of your investor career that you're like looking back and says, oh my gosh, I wish I knew what I know now, that type of, of thing. Let's not talk about the mistakes, but the lessons that you learned from them. I think it's a lesson that we all have to learn that if you're so focused on working in your business, you can't work on your business. And because I had bought something I didn't know anything about, I had to work in it actually learn how to manage people and operate the property to even pay that first payment. You know, I had to learn the operations and what was going on. And what I learned is I should have hired a manager for that, that first property a lot earlier so that I could focus more on my business instead of being in the weeds in it. Yes, those years of working in the weeds definitely are what got me here. But I wish I would have hired a manager sooner so that I could have grown a lot faster. You know, just to piggyback on that, you know, in terms of like property management, because, you know, we self-managed so many of our units early on and that was helpful, right? I found that to be in hindsight, really, really helpful because you get a chance to learn the business, but then it's like, okay, this is time to transition. You're getting into larger assets and it just makes sense for, for this niche. Cause I know I, I can understand you're, you're, you're hiring a team, you're hiring an, op yeah. an operations manager to manage that park. Right. So is it the same type of approach where there's actually teams that you can hire like that? You could have hired that manager along with their team to manage that size of RV park. And it's just like, you're going to pay them a percent. Like you would pay six to 10% a, 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 prop, a traditional property manager. I'm thinking multifamily. Is it the same type of thing? Are you saying I should have hired somebody who would have, would have really worked for me? I'm curious to get in, like, are there different approaches in this niche? I'm just trying to get my head around it because, again, I'm thinking more on the, the multifamily. Yeah, in, the, in this niche, almost everyone self-manages in some form. And when we okay. say self-manage, not necessarily the self-manage you think of when people are starting out and they own a couple units. And there are a few management companies in our space, but it's not the same as multifamily where you have really fabulous ones that have sure. processes in place. They've been around for years. You know, for sure, they're going to do a great job. They're in every market, right? We don't really have that. Okay. And so for us, you can either be mom and pop working and running your business, or you can self-manage and I'm self-managing from 900 miles away. So it's not the same as when we think of having five or six units and you're fixing the toilet and taking all the phone calls. I don't talk to the customers or the tenants. I have about 30 employees and I'm managing my managers at this point. So I hired my mother as my COO a couple of years ago. And I'm even further removed from that because she's the one managing a lot of them at this point and overseeing some of that day-to-day. -day. Uh, I have an intern that's converting to replace mom's position very soon. And that'll even remove us even further. So it's it's self-managing, but not in the same respect that you think of in those beginning years. I love that. And I want to go to 
I have a couple of other more specific nitty gritty questions, but I I can't I can't just let go of this question based on what you're saying about removing yourself, right? As, as you scale, you hire first person or your your first team, and then you still managing being the operator. And then the second level, I would say, second level of scaling is when you hire an operator, a CEO, or a director of operations, and then step out even more, and then you keep stepping out. Uh, completely and substituting yourself. That's the the magic, right? A lot of the women in our community, here's what they say about hiring, right? I don't trust them. <laughs> I don't trust them. And how can I trust somebody? How can I open up my books? Or I'm embarrassed. Like I'm not that organized and they're going to see everything or I don't have the money to pay them or I don't have the systems in place to, to hire them. All of those. The trust thing is is what is holding a lot of women back. So from your experience, what did you do in order to over, overcome that first hire? And then those all those 30 hires that you had to do in order to step out and really focus on your core genius. When you buy a property that large as your first investment that, for example, to kind of explain the moving parts of that, um, that property now brings in two and a half million dollars a year. So you are getting your butt kicked. There are 500 people there at any given time. There is no option but to hire people. Your trust issues literally don't matter. I mean, sure, you're not going to share the books and things like that with people you don't know and right away. But, you know, there's there's 41 um, short-term rental units, meaning camping cabins and meaning the tiny house kind of things and glamping tents and all these different moving parts. You literally can't do it by yourself. So I think being able to hire somebody versus trusting people are two very different things. As you grow, you won't have a choice but to hire people. Otherwise, you can't grow because you can only physically do so much. There's a, there's a certain size that you can get to and you either hire or that's the size you're going to be. The trust things that a totally different level for that. And so the first time that somebody had access to my credit cards or any extra something that somebody might be a little bit nervous about, I had hired my best friend as my part-time assistant because she was going through some things in life and needed a job. And I was like, I'm really at a point where I need an assistant. And so I knew that I could give her my credit card information. And that was kind of towing into it. So taking those baby steps of being able to do that is, is different. But I also have noticed some young entrepreneurs who are willing to give all their passwords and credit cards and information away to just everybody. And those are the stories you hear where like stuff's stolen and you're really bad shape. So no one has access to my bank accounts and things like that, except for literally my mother. And if I'm not married, so if I had a spouse, that would be my spouse that had access to that. So, so deciding what you're going to give them access to doesn't mean that they have access to everything. And as far as my books go, this year was the first year anybody besides my accountant had access to my quote unquote books. Um, my intern that I was telling you about earlier is an accounting major. So he did all the bookkeeping and all that kind of stuff. But he still didn't have access to any money. So if the people that have access to books and money meaning credit cards versus there are different people. It's kind of like the government has these checks and balances. You can't give all of the control or access to one person. So kind of splitting it up makes it a little easier too. Yeah. Did that answer your question? I feel yes. like it went in circles. With no, that. no. 
You did because it's just like this. Oh, I don't trust. So I'll stay this small or I trust so much. And uh, here we go. Here's all my passwords. There's a process and there isn't only one process that women say, oh, if I don't follow that, then I'm not going to scale. There are different ways to do it. What I really like stand for a woman is that Lego, just Lego substitute yourself I don't give a shit. I am not, my value is not what I do. So being busy does not mean anything. I'd rather grow my business, step out, serve the people and go. I don't want to be doing a lot of things. I don't want it. I just don't want it. So it's uh, interesting that you say that. I was at a conference a couple of years ago and this really successful investor told me, Heather, you can either have control or you can have growth. So you've got to decide what you want. Simple, right? One or another, and there's no wrong or uh, right or wrong, but you can't, it just can't be both. I don't want to know. I don't, uh, let's just, just go. So for all the pod, the strivers that are on my pod right now, systems and processes <laughs> in place, hiring is a big deal and, and it is a big deal. So that's what we are looking to do. Uh, by the end of, of, of the pod, they're going to be like, I have nothing on my plate. <laughs> It's a great, we achieve our goal. You know, it's interesting too. I, you know, it's something you did, you did beautifully. And I don't know if everyone would do this. And it's interesting to think about your own way, your own style, your own, you know, what gets you up in the morning, but you, you created this growth for yourself in your twenties. And like, literally, like you said, there was, you didn't have any other choice, right? If you're going to buy this property the way you wanted to do it in your mid twenties, no experience in doing this. You, you'd almost like you burn the bridge, right? They would, people say burn the bridge. And um, yeah, I, I think that's really powerful. And, and that then created this beautiful growth of, of a business and, you know, and, and a niche. So, you know, it's scary for a lot of people, a lot of women listening, like, oh, I'm sure there's women who are saying to themselves, God, Heather's amazing, but I don't think I could have done that. And, you know, sure. we come up with all the reasons we could right. have done it. Right. And all the reasons that it's scary. And I got pregnant with my first child and had my first child that same year that I was trying to figure that out. And I had three babies right in a row. And I can remember having, there's a picture somewhere, one of my maintenance managers with one kid strapped to him. And I've got an office lady with one kid strapped to her and I'm running around with the other one. Like you literally just make it work. Like can come up with all the reasons that you can't, or if you just jump in and start doing it, like you said, you'd have no choice. You just keep going. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. 
This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love that. We all make it work, right? There's no like bad or good or wrong or right decisions. There's just decisions and whatever that is, you're going to make it work. I want to ask a couple of questions regarding like the, the construction piece and the adding value to the property. I'm not too familiar with, with RV parks or, or mobile homes. What are the traps? That's all that I want to know. Like, what are the traps? Because I'm sure if I go there, I was like, oh, we, we can do this, this and that. But I don't want to quote unquote over rehab. Well, on our side, we, there are some things that we need to do now, later. And there are things that we should never do because I'm not going to add value. So when it comes down to this specific niche, what are the areas that will add value to the property? So obviously always no different than in multifamily and it's valuable to add units. It's always going to be valuable to add more sites because you're essentially expanding your property. Another huge value add that brings in great money is the tiny homes that we just talked about or camping cabins. Those bring in great money. I have 21 of those at that original property and they bring in about a half a million dollars a year. So they bring in really great income. And those are, again, kind of the short-term stay. Um, Even like you were talking about, people will be not able to find a hotel room or they want a little different experience than staying in a hotel. Or maybe their friends have campers and they want to be able to go too, or grandma and grandpa's got a camper and the rest of the family wants to come. So those work really well. The glamping. Glamping is this huge trend. It was a three... This year, it got up to $3 billion and Mm. they're expecting it to grow to $6 billion. So adding... Whatever your glamping is going to be, whether it's tree houses or yurts or glamping tents, or mm. I've seen remodeled buses and train cars and, and whatever I your unique it. experience is, uh, the return on your investment for those glamping units is usually one year. It's amazing. And, and the difference, the reason the return is so high is obviously they don't last as long. The glamping tents usually have a 10-year lifespan. So you're going to want that. Obviously, you own the property, but that structure itself, you're going to have to start replacing the canvas and things like that. Mm-hmm. So those are always great. Uh, a laundry room. Oh my gosh, you're literally just collecting quarters. That's one of those passive, boring businesses that make great money. I am always shocked because during the pandemic, we closed the laundry rooms because they're such a small space and trying to control who can go in and go out. That was one of the things that we we closed to make sure that we were staying in um, compliance with all the COVID stuff. And people are there for three days. I'm like, how many people really need to use the laundry room? Like here for three days. Right. We got so many bad reviews of, oh my gosh, their laundry room's not open. <laughs> so the, the amount of laundry money that you're bringing in is an awesome value add. That was one of my remodel projects over the winter. Doing economy sites, meaning a, a cheaper site versus a premium site. 
the the people who aren't necessarily who are more traveling on a budget and stuff they really want that cheaper option and you're using less of your land and less of your resources with those economy sites versus kind of your premium site that's going to be a whole lot longer a whole lot wider maybe fancy really great outdoor space which can be like a fire pit that's really great and brick and some great seating and things like that people will my premium sites book up first and they're almost double the cost of the economy sites so Having those different tiered options, so different in a giant multifamily, you'd want to have a one bedroom, some two bedrooms, and you've got your mix of different size units. You know, it's interesting. Make me think about markets and like think a lot about supply and demand, right? So if you're going into a new market and you're just like, okay, what's happening here? Is there is there new construction happening? Which some new construction is great when it's too much or there's there's an influx of it. You know, you want to think, okay, how's my property going to stand against all of these? Okay, well, it's unique aspect of my asset that I'm buying or renovating, et cetera, because we we buy more existing properties than than build at this point. So I'm curious though, I don't think about like RV parks, like from a market perspective, right? Analyzing a market and you know, we 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 think in real estate investing so much, right? What's the market? What's the market? What's the market? We can change you could you I always say you could participate in market, you can't change it, you know, and that's so so true in any for any niche. So for RV parks though, I mean, what have you seen to be is it, is it simpler? I mean, because if there's an existing RV park and it's like a vacation area, is, is there like a ton of mar- like market analysis you need to do there? Or I'm just curious to get your sense of that. I would imagine that's important on some level, but I think it like it's so important, right? If you're going to go buy a 100, 300 unit apartment complex, which is which is the, the pool we're playing in. Curious to get your insight into that in terms of analysis of market and what pieces of it is important to kind of check off when you're, okay, this is something I do want to buy or don't want to buy. And, and this is why. I'm curious to get your insight into that. So it's very different for different reasons. There could be a location that you wouldn't want a multifamily apartment because the population or the right. employers or the growth or whatever, but it could be a fabulous intersection between two major interstates that <clears throat> have amazing traffic that people are traveling on. And maybe that's going to be the type of RV park that have, has an average day of one day. Because people are literally just staying there to sleep for the night. They they pull over, they pay their 50 bucks, they're staying for the night to hook up and sleep, and then they're moving on. And it might not be a great location for multifamily, but right. it's a really great location for, say, a hotel, the type of hotel that has one night stay. There's also what you're talking about with tourism. Like being in a tourist town is a very different business model. Like maybe apartment complexes for 300 units wouldn't be great in that tourist town, but putting a hotel or Airbnb unit or an RV park or glamping resort is a really great option. So oftentimes those tourist towns need more affordable housing than they do really great luxury apartments. You know, it is market analysis is going to be very different depending on what type of park you want to have, because remember all these different types of RV parks, there's also RV parks are in literally the middle of nowhere, but they're on 300 acres and they have water parks and mini golf. And think about when we were kids and you went to Girl Scout. When you went to Girl Scout camp, it was never somewhere that was some really nice city or Boy Scout camp. They're in the middle of nowhere, but they have all these really great activities. So you've created the destination itself. Those are the ones I was talking about. Make sure you can get your utilities because property might be really great, but who knows if you can get the utilities there. So it's not necessarily the same as the kind of market analysis you're doing for multifamily. Yeah. And it brings us back to any niche you're looking at, right? It's like, there's such a need to be mindful of like the business strategy. 
It is a business strategy. Looking at a tourist town in the middle of nowhere is such a different strategy, right? Than, than finding workforce housing and creating affordable living for a mid-market, you know, population. Totally different. And to absolutely, your, it's they're like to, to different beasts. And I think what you're saying that so many people miss. So many, I see it in our community, our investor Facebook community, our free community, and like I see the questions. You know, like what markets should I invest in? What are you investing in? First, let's first let's talk about what's that. your goal. What's your, your goal? Yeah. So I think you know we have to take a big step back and like really be mindful of that, right? Because what you're saying is is a great great example of one market being the best, but one niche being the worst for another, and that all comes back to business strategy and having a business plan. Um, we it don't does. talk a lot about that enough. We don't. And so with my glamping students, the literally the first thing that we start talking about is who's your avatar? Like, who do you think is coming here? How far are they willing to travel? What do they expect when they get here? What kind of vehicle are they going to be in? Like, do they need to be, are they willing to park a, you know, a football field distance away to have a better, you know, staying in a tree house versus they need to be staying right next to it because maybe they're an older generation. You know, what, what are their expectations and what are they going to be wearing? You know, everything about that avatar to create the property that they're going to have. So, so, so important. And I, I love what you're saying, Heather. Well, I, we got to have you on some sort of right on just a workshop, something we got to pull, pull this together. Cause I'm like, I want to learn more. This is there's awesome. so much information. I know. Let's go somewhere <laughs> and have it there at the place. Cause I like going there and, and experiencing it. Heather, um, thank you so much for, for all your insight. And we have our, our fabulous three questions on just is going to ask you in a second, but where can the women listening, uh, learn more about you? Yeah. So I'm all over social media at Heather Blankenship X3 or my website at heatherblankenship.com. Awesome. And all this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And Heather, the first one is, what's the most transformational book you ever read? You know, what's interesting is normally I would tell you something totally different, but I have been reading the book, The Gap and the Gain, and it is freaking amazing because social media will change your mindset on the gap and the gain. Uh, listening to a ton of podcasts and reading books and going to conferences, you can get stuck with what other people are doing and where you wish you were and forget how far you come. So for a really good, great mindset book, everybody needs to read that. It's awesome. I mean, anything that Dan Sullivan put it out there, I'm like consuming immediately. Like, I don't care. What is it? I'm, I'm there. Second question is, what's the most powerful routine that you do to live a financially free and balanced life? Whatever balance we see you. It's interesting. So I'm a single mom of three. So there's, as you know, there's, you don't pee alone. You don't bathe alone. <laughs> um, you don't do anything alone. Sure. And, and I have hundred percent custody of those kids. So there are not any, and my mother lives in another state. So there's no alone moments. And a couple of years ago, I hired a nanny to come in during the day so that I could function and do all the things that I do. So every day at noon, I go on a walk without my phone and, and I live walking distance to the beach here, but it could be even just walking around your neighborhood. And I get to have my mind to myself and the, the things that I come up with to fix the problems that I have or the creativity I need for the businesses moving forward, letting our mind be still and not interrupted by the constant buzzing of our phone or our, our kids asking us questions, our employees, our team, that hour that I go for a walk is something that has transformed my life immensely. I love that. Solitude is something that Liz and I have been 
working on because sometimes we're like, okay, I don't know how to be still and not being connected. But that is so necessary, right? It's just amazing the benefits of the nothing, nothing time and just me, whatever I want to do. Being alone in your own head. Yeah. How cool is that? <laughs> the last question is which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Oh, I love Sarah Blakely. And I know that she sold recently with Blackstone and all that different stuff. But I remember being younger and seeing a picture of her with this coffee mug that says, be the CEO your parents always wanted you to marry. Mm. And watching even her marriage and seeing how her husband and her are still very different people and they get to be themselves instead of being that woman that everybody expects us to be has been very inspirational. I saw an interview with her husband and he said that their first date, he didn't know who she was at that time. I don't even know if she was anything big at that time, but she was something already and vice versa. And then she looked at him and said, listen, I got to tell you, and I need to tell you this right now. I make more than you. He's like, you don't know how much I make. It doesn't matter. I do make more than you. And you need to tell me right now if this is a problem or not. And then he's, I'm cool. I'm cool. And then he's dead later. He said, I didn't know how much more she made it (laughs) than, than me. But I said, I don't care. Who cares? Who cares? And he's super like free spirit, right? So they're such a great power couple, as you're saying, super different, but so like- And they let each other be themselves. You'll see pictures of he's like this raw vegan who's only eating bananas (laughs) till noon or something. And she's eating her french fries and drinking her Diet Coke. Exactly. They're letting each other be themselves. I love it. I love it too. Heather, thank you so much for being on our show and- sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us and and, and all of our listeners and all of our community. So thank you. Thank you for your time so much. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thank you, Heather. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.